material without being magical. Uh, it has and historically extremely specific uh, that they have traditions implied in them. Uh, and I guess my question to Anton is, what is it like to write so masterfully in a language which has imprinted in it and implied in it a culture that is not only not your own, but is a culture that in some way is an adversary and even a threatening culture for you. So I guess, why Hebrew, and what did Hebrew feel like when you were writing it, would be the two first questions. Uh, I suppose your part this evening is the easier part. That's why I agree to appear. You, you don't have to, to, give, to give answers to your questions. Uh, why Hebrew? And uh, perhaps the, the best, best way to answer a Jewish question is, is to put another Jewish question as an answer to it. Why not? But, 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 but seriously speaking, when, when, the, the, the first thing that crossed my mind when, when I started writing this novel, actually I started writing this novel in Arabic, not, not in Hebrew. This was about more than 10 years ago. And uh, I wrote one chapter uh, of which only one page survived in this, in this novel now. And then I flinched back. And I, I was frightened, first of all, because I, I was about 26 at that time. And, and I, I thought that nobody should write any prose under the age of 40. And uh, th then, then I changed my mind, and uh, because the story was the story of my family, th those of you who managed to, to read to read these, uh, the, 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 this book, it is about about my family, and, and I, th I I felt writing about my family in Arabic, that they are all all the members of my family, all the time are just breathing down my neck. And you cannot write freely about the people that you know in the language that they understand. And uh, Hebrew was a language that they did not understand. Uh, so so I, I felt very free just to switch over and, and go to that adversary's language, as, as you call it, which, which I don't. It's just Hebrew for me. It just... It's, it's not exactly another language, but it is, it is a language. And if you choose, if you pick up a language to write in, so you take upon yourself all the responsibilities of, of that language. And if you choose a language to shoot with, so once you've chosen it, it's like what, what Sartre in, in uh, as old-fashioned uh, 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 existentialists would, would say to you, once you've chosen a language, it's like, like choosing a gun, and if you, you have chosen it, then don't talk, just shoot, is, is the way that, that uh, 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 in, in, in Westerns movies you, you often hear. They don't talk, just shoot. So, so I, I, I chose to shoot in Hebrew, and, and the victims, of course, were the members of my family. Uh, 
One other reason was that to write an, a Palestinian story or a Palestinian tale to Palestinians or to Arabs in their language, I thought this was redundant and, and the tale should be told to a new audience, the audience who uh, at the time, I, I hope that this audience still interested in, in my tale and what, what I had, had in mind was that in order to tell my story to the most important audience around, I should tell it in the language that this, the, the audience understand. So, so that's, that's why Hebrew and, and uh, perhaps the third and most important thing for me, as 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 uh, a would-be writer, was that I I believed that what Beckett said once that if you were a composer and you happen to be a pianist, don't ever never compose music while playing the piano. Just choose another instrument for for your music. So uh, I, I felt the same way about Hebrew. Uh, uh, Arabic was my piano, and I didn't want to write in Arabic because uh, if, you, if you write in Arabic, I, I felt that I would just fall, uh, uh, or, or I would be tempted to use all these ready-made structures of the Arabic language, and I would be more accurate, more conscious, more conscious of the language if I, if I've chosen to write it in another language, which, which happened to be Hebrew, that you think is a Jewish language, and, and I don't. I think it's an Israeli language. Maybe we should, maybe we should discuss the, uh, the Jewishness or not of Hebrew. Uh, I guess in this respect we do differ, I think it seems indisputable to me that there is a sense in which Hebrew is a Jewish language. Why, uh, why well, is, would, what is indisputable? Well, as I think that, as I, as I told you, there is a perverse sense for me in which your book, more than any other book I've read, proved that precisely because when one reads your book, one is struck by the provenance of the various Hebrews that I referred to. There are climactic passages in your book that quote the book of Exodus or that refer to, that use rabbinical idioms and so on. Um, that to me, it, it seems incontrovertible that, that so far, so far, uh, Hebrew is a Jewish language, it, that it carries with it the Jewish culture in a very deep structured sort of way. Now, that does not mean it, well, uh, let me say two things about that. I don't see that that means that there will never evolve a genuinely Israeli Hebrew. Uh, I think that the that you know, as we know, Israel is only 40 years old. Uh, the the integration, however peaceful or violent, of Hebrew speakers with Arabic speakers is a relatively recent. It's only a hundred years old. Uh, and there is no doubt in my mind that eventually there may evolve a Hebrew that is in some sense neither Jewish neither or, or, nor Arabic, but Israeli in some sense. I, I don't think that that happy degree of cultural 
uh, of cultural integration of cross fertilization and so on has happened yet. The second thing I have to say is that I don't see that the Jewishness of Hebrew should in any way offend or, or be an obstacle uh, culturally or politically. Uh, I think that the Jewishness of Hebrew is, as, uh, is no more an obstacle than the, than the cultural implications and the cultural, uh, the cultural premises of any other language are. I mean, we spoke about this earlier and we talked about the work of a man like Richard Cobb, who is uh, a British historian of France, who in the course of his love for the French language and for French culture has virtually transformed himself into a Frenchman linguistically, and who writes his books in French and, ha and has them translated back into English so that some of his colleagues at Trinity College or wherever he is can understand them. Uh, I think that there is no reason why the Jewishness of Hebrew should amount to, certainly not a political obstacle, but even to a cultural obstacle. And as I say, I think that more than, any, more than anyone, you have proved that, that one can take a language which is imbued with another culture, one can master it, one cannot surrender to it. That is to say, you used Hebrew, in my view, what you accomplished was you took a Jewish language and used it for your own purposes. You didn't surrender to it. You didn't find yourself woefully implicated in somebody else's culture. You, you, you used Hebrew in a completely free way. In a completely free way, it was the result of your imagination. But the fact remains that the instrument that you used, it seems, again, as I say, indisputable to me, was a Jewish instrument. Uh, was a Jewish instrument. Uh, to, to just to start with, to, to set the terms of reference, I think the... Uh, the only Jewish language is Yiddish, and Hebrew is not a Jewish language. Uh, and that, that's, that's where we, we differ. And, and, and I think that if we talk about Hebrew in New York, uh, in this uh, uh, godly evening, it, it might seem as, as a Jewish language, all right. But for me, uh, staying there, being there in, in Israel, in that Jewish state, what I try to do is to make Hebrew less Jewish and more Israeli. And, and if you speak about uh, the Jewishness of, of the Hebrew language as a cultural obstacle, I, I, I would tend to speak uh, about the Jewishness of the state as a cultural obstacle and, and language being just a, a byproduct of, of that abnormal situation. And, and to, to set further the, these terms of, of, of reference, uh, I, I, for one, happen to believe that the state of Israel should not be a Jewish state, that the state of Israel should belong to its citizens, and that's, that was the, perhaps not the only, but one of the most powerful dreams of Zionism, to make normal people out, out of the Jews who, who, who would come to make and, 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 and make made Aliyah to, to Israel, and and uh, if to, to use uh, uh, one one of the uh, 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 definitions of Philip Roth in in this context, to unjew actually to unjew the Jews by 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 putting them or by setting them in that land, land of Israel. So, so f for me, who was born inside 
the State of Israel, who was born after the establishment of the State of Israel, and uh, about two years after the establishment of the State of Israel, that's why I have a perfect alibi to that, to that event. And I, at the age of 12, 13, uh, confronted for the first time this new reality, if, if you might call it as such, of the Hebrew of a new language, I, I didn't know that it was called Hebrew, of a new language that invaded my village word. And this language which invaded my father's village word, and he tried to cope with it, but not very successfully, and, and, and I thought that I would just pick it up from where he quit and, and continue with it. And uh, this happened in 1962, when when my family left the village, in the this village Fasuta in the Galilee, and they, they all came over to Haifa, and that's where for the first time I just had to confront this new language reality, and and I decided that in order to to uh, actually there's very. Uh, Nice, nice is a word I, I learned in, in uh, last days, uh, recent days. In New, is, is in New York, nice, nice story involved. Uh, about the first month that uh, after after we came to Haifa, this was the summer of 1962. Uh, my mother sent me to a kiosk. Do you call it kiosk? Yes. Yeah. To to buy some some sunflower seeds. And uh, I mean, she 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 wasn't expecting any parakeets to come over. She she was expecting guests, and that's that's what on in the village. That's what you would serve your guests: sunflower seeds, uh, most of the time salted sunflower seeds. So she sent me over to to this kiosk in Haifa in this uh, 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 Jewish Arab slum, downtown Haifa city. And I, I went there, and I was very proud of my Hebrew, actually. I, I thought I was very proud of my survival Hebrew in, in, in that city. Uh, for instance, I, I, I knew how to say liknot, to buy, in third person, feminine, uh, uh, in, in the future time, future, future tense. And I thought this was very practical knowledge of, of the language. So I, I went to this vendor, vendor's shop. Uh, of Mid-Eastern munchies, and and I asked him for 300 grams in, in Hebrew, 300 grams of sunflower seeds. So he said to me, "Imelach or blimelach," and I stood there struck dumb because I wasn't prepared for this question. I wasn't, I didn't know what he was talking about at all, and all of a sudden this uh, this. Don't, don't ruin my punchline. <laughs> uh, so all of a sudden, this uh, little girl was a neighbor of, of us, and she belonged to the first pioneers coming from the village, and she knew Hebrew more than I did. And she, she came in, she, she squeezed herself into that, that kiosk, that shop, and, and, uh, and she said, what's the problem? I said, and, and the, 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 the man goes, Imelach or Blimelach? And, and she said, all, he, what, what, all what he, he is, is wanting to, to ask you is just, 
Do you want your sunflower seeds salted or otherwise? And I got my 300 grams, and then at that evening, uh, when I went home, I, I, I made my first urban resolution that thou shalt learn Hebrew. And, and since then, since then, I, I, my attitude toward this language was as if my mother had sent me over to a stepmother, and she just hand me, handed me over to that stepmother. That's what, why I call Hebrew my stepmother tongue. And I started at that age to try and master that shrew, to, to tame that shrew of the Hebrew language. And, but out, out, out of, I mean, it, it didn't occur to me at all, to come back to your question, it didn't occur to me at all that this Hebrew is actually a Jewish language. I thought it just, you know, the language of the city. And I, I was just a disoriented villager who came to Haifa and, and was trying to come to grips with, with his new reality. So I, that's why I treated Hebrew as just another language. It wasn't till later age that I discovered that Israel is a Jewish state, which, which was a great shock to me, and, and, and that Hebrew actually was, was, was a Jewish language. But uh, to sum it all up, I, I would think that what I'm trying to do, and, and maybe not very successfully, what I'm trying to do is, is to bring Hebrew back to the Levant, to the Mediterranean, to free Hebrew from its ghetto East European connotations and just bring it back to the Mediterranean, to, to the Middle East. And, and uh, I think that's crazy, so. I think it's crazy. Yeah, it is. I think so, too. <laughs> <laughs> uh, um, I would say a few things about that. Um, I mean, I, I, I think that, I mean, I certainly cannot be against, as you put it, undoing the Jews. I think if, sometimes I think if Jews get any more Jewish, they're positively going to implode from their Jewishness. <laughs> Uh, but I think that there are certain ancient facts of culture that have to be acknowledged. Um, for example, I think, I mean, as you know, Hebrew writers in the late 19th and early 20th century, centuries also wanted to free, to rid Hebrew of the ghetto mm -hmm. and to rid Hebrew of Eastern Europe and to restore Hebrew to some pristine form. Uh, but any more pristine form that you might restore Hebrew to will be a Jewish form. There is no form of Hebrew prior to Judaism. Uh, in, 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 it is simply a fact, I think, of, of the history of culture that that is the case. And when you say that the only Jewish language is Yiddish, I mean, you know, Yiddish, Ladino, Judeo-Arabic, Judeo-Persian, all these mixtures, in some sense, they arose and were nourished precisely on Hebrew. And the difference between Yiddish and German is Hebrew, just as the difference between Judeo-Arabic and Arabic is Hebrew, not Arabic. And that was what made them different. And that it was Hebrew that made Yiddish a Jewish language, not German. Uh, and this is a problem, by the way, that I think American Jews face now, because American Jews are in a very strange predicament. And that is that 
they have, for reasons of history and other reasons, decided uh, or decided to allow circumstances to decide for them not to create their Jewish culture in Hebrew. They have decided to create their Jewish culture in English. Mm -hmm. And the great question about the cultural vitality of American Judaism will be to what extent can Hebrew become, excuse me, can English become a Jewish language? And the greatest, one of, may, I think perhaps the greatest impediment facing American Jewish writers is that they too are dealing, in, they, are, they are creating for Jewish culture in a non-Jewish instrument, in a Christian instrument, in a, in a, in a language which is, which is marinated in symbolisms and echoes and allusions and implications and etymologies uh, that are not only not Jewish, but the opposite of Jewish. And when, when you speak, what I find admirable and interesting about your ideal of Hebrew is that what you're really proposing is the ideal of a language that will be philosophically and culturally neutral in some way, that will not, that, 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 that somehow will be freed of any association to any particular culture that will make it in some way not serviceable to members of another culture. And from your attitude towards Hebrew, I see that you deduce, or I mean, you arrive at your criticism of the Jewishness of, of Israel, of the Jewish state. I have to say that if you mean that, that Israel should not be a Jewish state in the sense that the state should have nothing to do with Judaism, I couldn't agree more. Uh, I think that history will probably show that the mixture of religion and Zionism in the Jewish world may prove to be the single most disastrous intellectual event uh, in the modern history of the Jewish people. Uh, I don't think that that is hyperbolic. So I think that we agree that the state must be a secular state of the most radically secular kind. No, no patience with sentimentality, no, be, no more Jews disarmed by the memory of grandparents with beards. Uh, a state that really treats all its citizens absolutely equal. A state with full political and civil rights for everybody who lives there. A state in which any Arab, just as any Jew, could become prime minister. If, if that is what you mean by a state that is not Jewish, then we absolutely agree. Uh, but there are two points, but there are, I guess, three points I would make. The first is that, that the idea, I would prefer, given the experience, well, let me start, let me back up a bit. Your ideal of a non-Jewish Israel and of a non-Jewish Hebrew uh, seems to me to be a very enlightenment ideal. It has a very kind of almost Voltairean quality. To it. We will rise above all these things, and we will meet in some neutral space, in some neutral ground. Uh, I have to say that given the, the past, given the history of the abuse of such ideas, I feel much safer, much safer morally and politically with the idea that instead of the erasure of differences and the creation of some sort of, let's call it universal language, and after all, Esperanto was a Jew's idea too. And in fact, Esperanto always struck me as the ultimate Jewish idea. But my, my next uh, novel is going to be in Esperanto. Esperanto yes. <laughs> well, well, we'll have it translated into Hebrew. <laughs> <laughs> um, it seems to me that instead of that ideal, which is an ideal finally of a kind of uniformity, which finally will also have to be imposed, I think. It will not be able to develop naturally. Somebody will, it will have to be a political decision. At some point, there will have to be a political decision made about culture that will involve the imposition or the forced erasure of certain associations. Instead of that whole 
instead of that nightmare, because it seems to me that, mm. that that has emerged as one possible modern nightmare, it seems more realistic and morally more reasonable to argue for a state of complete democracy, which is made up of two communities, each of which is conversant and respectful of and familiar with and instructed by the culture of the other. That is to say, a, a, a real democracy with a real kind of pluralism in which Jews do not, in which Arabs are not forced to learn Hebrew, whereas Jews not only are not forced to learn Arabic, but are told that Arabic may as well be Phoenician mm. for most of the Jews living in Israel, but in which Jews are also taught Arabic, and in which there is some general, some genuine mutual pluralistic respect in a democratic situation. That seems to me to be far preferable, given what we know about attempts to, to, to make uniform and to erase and so on, to, the, to, to this, I think, to this sort of in, in enlightenment to this sort of enlightenment idea. Um, the real question, to my mind, that, that you pose, the really interesting question, is whether or not there is, some, there is some, as it were, linguistic obstacle to genuine democracy in Israel. In other words, you, you seem to be arguing that as long as Hebrew is considered to be a Jewish language, Israel will not be a democratic state. And I guess what I would argue is that insofar as Israel is not a democratic state, and though it is more democratic than other states, it is not utopia, and it is not a perfect democracy, and it is in some ways an extremely imperfect democracy. Mm. Uh, but insofar as it is not a democracy, I would argue that that is not for linguistic or even cultural reasons, but for other reasons. And that, and that in fact, cultural pluralism, cultural pluralism, the, the, the teaching of Arabic to Jews and of Hebrew to Arabs, may in fact be a tool or a force towards the full democratization, towards the full democratization of Israeli society and towards the creation of a genuine feeling of mutual respect. Was that a question? <laughs> <laughs> yes, it was. What do you think about it? Right. My, my question is, so what? <laughs> right, right. Uh, let me just pick up some, some something that you mentioned earlier about uh, me trying to make Hebrew a universal language vis-a-vis Hebrew as, as a Jewish language. And I, I'm not. I'm not trying to make it universal. I mean, to, to, to just what I'm... I just feel very awkward using this I all the time. Uh, uh, please excuse me. Uh, uh, I th what... what, what the way I, I see Hebrew in this context, in this cultural context that you, you were talking about, uh, and because you mentioned English, that so many Jewish writers are using this, what you call a Christian language, inevitably a Christian language, uh, and, and, and expressing their, their Jewishness in it. I'm not sure that's the same thing that I'm, I'm trying to do with Hebrew. I'm uh, just to, to, to pick on Philip Roth again. Uh, if Philip Roth is, is, is a Jewish writer using English, which, which you call it an, a Christian, Christian language, I, I think there's nothing Jewish about it. I think there's, uh, 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 this, is American, this is the American way of treating your, your being, of treating your, your reality, and, and that's exactly what I'm trying to do. I'm, I'm trying to find the Israeli way 
to treat to treat my reality, which doesn't mean that Hebrew is the sole, the only language of the Israeli being of mine, but it's it's another language. It's it's it, beside Arabic, which is my mother tongue. I, I'm I'm using Hebrew as another tool, another means of of uh, uh, coping with 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 my reality. The way Philip Roth is, I'm, I'm not trying to compare myself to Philip Roth. The, the, the way Philip Roth, whom, whom I, I admire very much, <laughs> whom I admire very much, is, is trying to do with English. Now, the, the main difference which I see between these two experiences with, with language is that Hebrew used to be a Semitic language. And Semitic languages, as, as you probably know, are written from right to left, and they also flow from right to left. The whole word's vision is based on this fact that the way I look at landscapes, that you, the same landscapes, pictures, paintings that you look at, I start looking at the right corner of that landscape because that's the way I write from right to left. And you, maybe I'm mistaken, but any American Jew who doesn't know Hebrew, who is, was born into this reality, the way he looks at things starts from the left and then goes, goes, goes to the right, which, 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 which might, might indicate a certain way of even looking at reality as, 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 a, as, 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 as a whole, which might indicate the way that we relate to our experience, the way that we, we express it, and, and the way, uh, uh, just to, to give you an example, I, I think modern Hebrew literature, I'm, I'm, when, I, when I say modern, I'm, I'm referring to literature written, say, in the last three decades, uh, uh, Aleph, Bet, Yoshua, Amos, Oz in, included in that. The, the reason, to my mind, that modern Hebrew literature, is easily translated into English and is easily read in English and it sounds better in English than it sounds in Hebrew. And this is, this is based on, on my very modest uh, 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 activity as, 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 as a translator to. The reason for that is that I think Hebrew coming back to its roots after 2,000 years is still did not lose that left-to-right flow which it acquired during those 2,000 years in the diaspora. I think Hebrew as a Semitic language, though it's written from right to left, the flow of it, the essence of the language, the way writers look at their word is necessarily and inevitably and irretrievably from, goes from left to right, and that's not the kind of Hebrew that I'm writing. So I, I, I might just take this a step further and say the Hebrew we are talking about is totally different from, from I mean, the, the Hebrew that I am talking about is totally different from the Hebrew you are talking about. So if, if we are talking about the Hebrew of, of, of Amos Oz, it's not my Hebrew. My Hebrew is, is more Semite, is more Levantine, is more belonging more, it's not more, I mean, it's, it, 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 maybe, maybe it's more belonging to the area that, that, that I live in, which, 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 which is Israel. So it's, it's not only the, the rhetorics of politics, as, as, as you refer to them, that they are the obstacle 
preventing Israel from, from being a part of the Middle East. It's, all, it's also the nature of the language that you call Jewish, which I don't, uh, the nature of that language, which is not freed yet from all these overtones stuck to it during all these 2,000 years in the diaspora. So, you know, the, 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 the salvation of the Hebrew language, I, 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 I'm sorry I sound so bombastic and pompous. Uh, uh, the salvation of the Hebrew language is exactly where the salvation of the state of Israel lies. That's when the state of Israel decides that it is a part in the Middle East, of the Middle East, and that's when Maccabi Tel Aviv uh, start to throw their balls to the basket from right to left and then not from left to right. Look, if you're, if you're for Jews moving from right to left, I'm all for that. Uh, and in some sense, certainly recently, the Jewish community has not emulated the direction of its language. Uh, I guess I want to ask you a question, but before that, I, something, I thought of something as you were talking that might clarify this tension, I, I mean, I am not a Jewish Israeli, I'm an, Amer I, I'm an American, but I will read myself into the mind of a Jewish Israeli. And I guess I would put it this way, that the task of a Jewish Israeli or of a Jewish Israeli intellectual or writer, a Jewish, intellectual, a Jewish Israeli intellectual or writer has two tasks. The first task is to be a Democrat. The first task is to create a, a just society in which all citizens are equal and all citizens have exactly the same rights. For the, for the purpose of that task, the kind of Hebrew that you are proposing is, if not a, a necessary condition, certainly, uh, certainly an important instrument towards bringing that about. But a Jewish-Israeli intellectual has another task, and that is he is a guarantor of the Jewish tradition. The Jewish tradition has been committed into his hands. Above and beyond, or beneath, call it what you want, his identity as a Democrat, there is his identity as a Jew. And he is responsible for seeing that, the Jewish, that he leaves the Jewish tradition a more rich and more sophisticated and more well-understood tradition than it was when he received it. Uh, and for the purpose of that task, the kind of Hebrew that you're proposing is absolutely useless for that Jewish Israeli. And the only Hebrew, in fact, sometimes I think the only language in which any such thing can be possible, will be the Hebrew that I'm speaking of, which is the Jewish, which is the Jewish Hebrew. Uh, and I think it's important to understand that the Jewish Israeli does not acquit himself of his moral and intellectual responsibility when he is a Democrat. He, he also is, he has the responsibility of transmitting a tradition and of adding to it. And that can only be done, that can only be done in a Jewish language. But the question I wanted to ask you and as I say, these things, this is a tension. I'm not sure it's a contradiction. It's certainly not some gorgeous organic unity. But, um, but the, the question I wanted to ask you was this. I was listening to what you said about Hebrew being Semitic, and, and, and I was thinking about passages in, in your novel that I reread today. For example, I read a passage near the end that we talked about near the end in the very moving uh, depiction of what happened in 1948 in Fasuta. Uh, in which you describe an attempt to placate or to persuade an Israeli commander. 
And when the Israeli commander is not placated, you, I think in Hebrew it's uh, his heart was hardened. Now this is a, this is a phrase, as you, as you know, which is straight from the book of Exodus. This is what happened to Pharaoh. And you know, Hashem uh, Lev Or there are other there are other examples in which you use not only biblical Hebrew, which arguably could be closer to the Semitic origin, but you use Talmudic Hebrew and very beautifully. How do you feel? I mean, do you feel when you use these phrases, do you feel that you have dissociated them from the Jews? Do you feel that you have liberated them in some way? Do you feel that you have neutralized them from their origins? I mean, what place do all these Hebrews have? in your book, because your Hebrew, in fact, as I say, is made of many Hebrews. How do you feel about these? Are they your phrases? Are they borrowed phrases? Have you, have you, have you, have you conquered them in some way? What have you done with them? Uh, what, what I've done with them is just creating a new republic. A new republic? Mm. Not another one. <laughs> and not a new nation, right? It's just a no. <laughs> Uh, but you know, we, we are just with with each and every question of yours. We're just going back, actually, yeah, going to around. the we're, you know we're, we're going out. We're going back to the, the the first standpoint, and that is that I do not accept. I decline to accept the fact that Hebrew is a Jewish language, and that's where you know where, that's where we were. and and. Uh, to, to, to write in Talmudic Hebrew in Israel, or, or even to, to, to write in, to use the kind of Hebrew that the writer of the Bible used, to my mind, I, I think, uh, and this, this maybe goes back to what, what T.S. Eliot once thought about poetry, that only those who have emotions know what does it mean to lose these emotions. And only those who have a full control over the language know what does it mean to lose that control and to bring the language from its, its uh, uh, biblical origins or from its Talmudic origins and, and make it more tamed, make it more relevant to, to the Israeli experience. And this book is, is actually about the Israeli experience. It's not a Jewish experience. It's not a Palestinian experience. It's something which could happen only inside the green line, something which could happen only as an Israeli experience. And the, the way, I mean, it's, 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 it's certainly difficult for me to, 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 uh, to try now and trace uh, down and, and find why I did, I did uh, pick up right. this sentence that, that, that you mentioned, which, which I, maybe at the time I thought that it's sort of have, uh, it, it, it has some, some uh, irony, mm -hmm. some irony in it. And and that's that's the way you work with irony that you you know you you, you bring some you 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 uh, uh, take something out of its context and and put it in in, in another context, and and this exactly what uh, didn't work in the English translation that the exact word that you mentioned didn't work in the translation and and uh, I'm I'm fully responsible for the decision with 
along with my wonderful editor, Ted Solotarov, uh, because we thought that this just it, this word has, it's, it's confined, sort of, it's just confined to a certain reality, which is Israel. It could not be passed over. It, it, could, it could not be transferred to use a very popular word now, now, now in Israel, it, it could not be transferred to the English language. So, so to, 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 to bring it back to what, what I was trying to say in the, in the beginning, I, I don't believe in Jewish tradition. Coming from Israel, living in Israel, I don't believe in Jewish traditions the way that you do, the way that every American Jew does, and and I'm I'm I just you know I I, I can't follow what what, what you are no talking you about. <laughs> what what are you talking about? Because my terms of reference are so different from right. yours, and and my my the way the way I relate to language, the the way that I implement this Talmudic and biblical language in my text is is so personal and different, but yet so Israeli at the same time that, that I, I find you, your terminology uh, sort of over a new Republican. <laughs> can never get away from certain things. Uh, well, let's turn it around then. Uh, you don't have to believe in the perpetuation of the Jewish tradition. I don't have to believe in the perpetuation of the Arabic tradition. Uh, we are each lucky for our own reasons, mm -hmm. I guess. Um, to what extent does your is your attitude towards Hebrew like your attitude towards Arabic? Now, I understand, of course, that in real political terms, the status of Arabic and of Arabs in Israel is hardly the status of Hebrew and Jews in Israel. I, but I understand that. But I'm wondering, for example, is it also true that that your affiliation with the Arabic tradition, with the Arabic literary or religious, Christian or Muslim, which, I mean, what, you know, we're all free individuals, we can choose what we want, uh, with the religious traditions, uh, to, what extent, to what extent is your affiliation with that tradition also negated? Or it, by, mm. I mean, to what extent must you not <coughs> perform the same surgery, as it were, on, on, on your Arabic background? Uh, and to make the question even more concretely political, to what extent does your rejection of Jewish nationalism, or let's call, uh, well, let's, I mean, to use the words we used before, I mean, to what extent does your rejection of Jewish Zionism also represent, require a negation of what you might call Palestinian Zionism? That is to say, uh, to what extent are you also not saying that that Palestinians should be done with their nationalism insofar as it makes them specific and separatist and apart. Uh, and I mean, so speaking concretely, it's, I mean, it can't only be the Jews who have to be done with their Zionism, because both Jews and Palestinians are Zionists in the same sense. Mm -hmm. And if one, one Zionism must be gone, then I would expect the other Zionism should have to be gone, too. And so I wonder if you could talk about the flip side of what we've been discussing. Yeah, let's go back to Zionism. I've been saying that for years. If everything goes back to Zionism. Uh, I, think when, I think Zionism accomplished and, and uh, uh, it's, it's, it achieved 
what it was after in 1948. And to go on and speak about Zionism today is, is sort of obsolete to me. Uh, I think the state of Israel was not established in 1948. There was just a Jewish state established in 1948. And the state of Israel is yet to be established maybe in two generation time. That's when I will feel secure inside my Hebrew and inside my Arabic. The, the way things are today is that uh, if, if, if you mention uh, uh, Palestinian Zionism, which, which I'm uh, wholeheartedly for, in my Palestinian state, in my Palestinian state, in, 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 the, in the Palestinian state, the would-be Palestinian state, to my mind, all citizens should be called Palestinians according to their nationality. A Palestinian can be an American professor who chooses to make aliyah to Palestine, an American Jewish professor who chooses to, 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 to live in Palestine and teach to teach Hebrew literature in Zayt University and apply for the Palestinian nationality and be called Palestinians. That's not the way things are today in Israel. The, things, the, the way things are today in Israel is that you, as, as an American Jew, have more rights and chairs in my state, the state I, I was born in, that if you decide tomorrow morning to make Aliyah to Israel, uh, by, by the time you, your second foot touches Ben Gurion, the ground of Ben Gurion Airport, you can run for the Knesset and there pass laws against me. And, and as such, actually, you hold more, if, if we can call it, chairs in, in that state. And, 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 and of course, I mean, you don't intend ever to make Aliyah to Israel. That's, we, we both know that. But, but uh, uh, maybe, maybe I'll, I'll be proven wrong. But meanwhile, the, the state of affairs is that I, who was born there, was raised there, who is using the language of the state and writing in the language of the state, have no rights, no political rights at all in that state, and you have more than, than I do. So, so if we talk about Palestinian Zionism, I, I just want to make it clear, sound and clear, that the Palestinian state that I think of is a state where everybody living inside it, even Jewish settlers in, 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 in uh, any Jewish settlement in the West Bank, are called Palestinians if they choose to be to be called to be called as such. Now which was done in the eighteen seventies of about about more more than one hundred years ago, uh, uh, about uh, two decades before Zionism. Uh, this this translation was so beautiful and and so enchanting for me that I just I my Arabic actually derived from from that source. Uh, the the book the book was always handy. The book was always around. And and uh, the, when when I first thought of of writing this novel, and and, and as I mentioned before, the only uh, there was just one page which survived. 
the the from from that Arabic version of the, of the first chapter, uh, the, the the everything that I wrote in Arabic was was so replete with Christian connotations from that translation of the Bible. So I said, why not just shorten this detour and go straight forward to Hebrew and 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 use use the Hebrew language because the the uh, of, of course my father didn't call the the Bible a Bible he called it the Old Testament and and uh, so let's go back to the Old Testament let's go back to the Old Hebrew let's go back to the Old Covenant between uh, 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 Hebrew and and this land and try to utilize it try to implement it is talking about a Palestinian. Palestinian experience. Now, I, I think I think if the state of Israel chooses to call me an Israeli and and define its Jewish citizens too as an Israel as as Israelis, so this sting of of the the language affiliation. Would be would be subdued and and maybe it it will ebb away and 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 disappear, and and there will come a day when when Hebrew and Arabic inside that magic green line would be just another it would be just two Israeli languages and and they will lose this uh, uh, overtones these connotations of hostility that nowadays they they bear to uh, uh, toward, toward each other now in in the middle of this dichotomy coming from this background of arabic coming from this biblical almost biblical arabic which i'm i'm not i'm not trying to say that that my my arabic is is utterly and and uh, uh, exclusively biblical, of course it's not. Uh, 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 modern Arabic language maybe owes not more than 20% of its vocabulary to the uh, translations done into Arabic in the 19th century, especially in Lebanon, but the whole bulk of this language, of course, is Islamic and, and Quranic, which, which I, I respect very much. I I am enchanted and 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 totally in love with with classical Arabic, which which I think is one of the most wonderful languages in 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 in, in the world. I, I know only three of them. So uh, 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 the 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 attitude toward Arabic or the way I relate to Arabic is I think is is less political and more cultural than the way. Jews of the diaspora relate to their own language, to their own uh, uh, Hebrew, as as uh, their uh, long uh, uh, absent mother tongue, and to their current tongue, which which uh, in 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 more than six million cases happens to be English. So we are again actually uh, uh, speaking about. Different, different terms of reference toward language. Yeah, I'm not sure that I understand. I mean, just a few observations. I'm not sure why I understand. I'm not sure I understand why Quranic Arabic is more worthy of affection or respect for an Arab than, let's call it, Toranic uh, mm. Arabic, mm. Uh, Toranic Hebrew 
is more is is not is more is worthy of respect and affection by a Jew. I mean, I just was struck by what no, no, your no, comments no, about no, your no, feeling no, for it. No, that's not what I said. No, maybe that's what I said, but that's not what I intended to say. Uh, no, uh, uh, I respect also your your feelings toward this Torahic language, but but I'm just what I'm trying to tell you. It's not the way I use this language. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm just not interfering with your love yeah. toward the language. I'm, I'm just picking you this object of love right. and trying to love it in, in a different way. I would say, I agree with you that there is a very deep historical sense in which Zionism was realized in 1948. That, that there is, and I would agree with that certainly, that there is a great deal of bad faith in American Zionism or in the, Zion, the Zionism of diaspora Jews there's certainly no disputing. Uh, there are two points that I would make, though, about what you said about the law of return, which really amount to two, uh, two forms of confession. Or uh, One is that there is one important sense in which Zionism has not been made obsolete, and that is that, Zi- and that, is that Zionism when it is seen as a, as a series of conclusions drawn from Jewish history. In other words, the idea is that the Jews are a people, that they have been a people apart from the minute they became a people and have remained a people apart through all their journeys, that they are people with a people's rights, and that by the laws of modern politics, they therefore have a right to a state. Uh, these cardinal principles of Zionism, which are pre-political, you can be all kinds of Zionists with these ideas, but certainly in that sense, to my mind, Zionism is not obsolete insofar as it represents a, a reading of Jewish history, and in my mind, at least to that extent, the correct reading. Secondly, about the law of return, I obviously have no problem whatsoever understanding the frustration or the anger or the, even the contempt that an, Isra- an Arab Israeli would feel about the law of return. But there is one important fact about Zionism and about the creation of Israel that I think has to be acknowledged, and that is the raison d'etre of the state before it, uh, from, from a Jewish point of view, from a Zionist point of view, before it was a spiritual center for the Jews, even before it was meant to be a democratic or an experiment in social justice or a form of social engineering of a utopian kind, the raison d'etre of the Jews was to create a haven for Jews. There had to be a place in which Jews would be certain of finding shelter. Now, what that means in the modern world what that means in the modern world is there has, to, there has to be a place in which Jews will never ex- worry about having to apply for a visa and never again have to experience an immigration quota. Now, after what happened to the Jews in the Second World War, uh, after their experience with this country, uh, with the free world, capital F, capital W, uh, no Jew in his right mind, I think, would ever again bet on even the most liberal democracy, on even the most liberal democracy, to remain immune to the kinds of political pressures that will keep keep Jews out in times of trouble. Now, what this means practically, politically, is, and again, and this is where I come to the confession, that there is an ugly, if you will, dimension to Israeli to Zionist liberalism or Zionist dovishness, and that is that it is essentially a separatist idea. It is essentially a separatist idea because, at, because of, of, of the need for a physical haven for Jews, because of the certainty that nobody except Jews can be counted upon fully 
to save Jews when Jews are in times of when Jews Jewish lives are endangered, it, it seems perfectly clear to me that there must never in this state of the Jews, in the Jewish state, in this place called Israel, call it what you want, there must never be a situation in which any minority, Arab, Christian, Kurds, any minority, has the power politically to block the free emigration of Jews in times of trouble. And for that reason, for that, this is, I say, this is the ugly reason, if you will. This is the separatist dimension, the, the dark side, if you will, of Jewish liberalism, in the sense that one, that, that according to this idea of political Zionism, and according to this, uh, it, by, to my mind, absolute requirement, non-negotiable requirement for the physical security of Jews, uh, for the physical security of Jews, that seems to me is why, for example, most of the occupied territories have got to be returned to the Palestinians. Because in the event that they are annexed, or in the event that they are indefinitely occupied, or in the event that at some point there is a sufficient number of Arabs within the Jewish state, two things will happen. One, I do not trust Israeli democracy to pass that test. Uh, we, we know that, we all know, we would agree that the reason that Israeli democracy has done even relatively well is because the minority it's had to deal with has been relatively small. Uh, other democracies that have had to face larger minorities in their midst have been threatened not only physically but in terms of their own legitimacy. So I simply do not trust. The Jews do not have any greater moral gift than any other people. Uh, they flatter themselves sometimes that, that they do, but 2,000 years of power and powerlessness means that there were a lot of things you might have wanted to do that you couldn't have done. Mm -hmm. uh, so I, I, so I do not trust Israeli democracy to withstand the test of a large, challenging Arab minority within Israel. And again, and I certainly do not trust a large Arab minority. I, do not, I will never bet, as a Jew, on any other minority of any other people. I will never believe the promise of another people who, that, that tells, who, sa who says to me, don't worry, if the Jews in Russia or Argentina or Germany or, or, or I don't know, wherever, are in trouble, it will be all right. It will be all right. After what happened 40 years ago, it's not psychologically possible for any self-respecting Jew to believe that. And that is, in that sense, confessing to the, as I say, to the dark side of this liberalism, uh, I think the law of return, it may not be defensible from your point of view, but I think that Israeli Arabs have to understand why it is a fact of their life. So what? <laughs> <laughs> but every time that you mentioned this dark side of thing, I just remembered the uh, uh, movies of Spielberg. The dark side of the force of Zionism. Uh, and, and then, then another the Jewish kind. Right? <laughs> <laughs> and then another another term that you use, which is uh, uh, that's where the uh, coup de grace in Israel is is. Sometimes when when they talk about if, even Hebrew, I mean used in English, which is very common usage, but even in Hebrew, uh, the, uh, you would hear in Israel chokashvut, uh, which is the law of return, is the raison d'être of of this. They would, they would say raison d'être, and you are you know lost. There's very uh, foreign foreign uh, terminology, and and you just uh, uh, hands up and you accept it because it's said in in French. So, raison d'être could work on my mother, which raison d'être could work on my mother, which 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 who came to the village as a teacher of French, and she didn't teach me any 
word in French. Uh, so I, I, I don't owe anything to this raison d'etre business. Uh, I don't think, I really don't think that the law of return is the raison d'etre of the state of Israel. I think the law of return is exactly the opposite of the raison d'etre. I think law of return is the seed of destruction for the state of Israel. What uh, uh, the, the just you know, I, I could I could simply ask ask you first uh, the first part of your question uh, answer the first part of, of, of your question saying but but uh, but Leon you are still living in the United States I mean you are talking to me you are addressing me you are addressing the question as if we were sitting in Tel Aviv now and we are just arguing about the whereabouts of the Jewish state which we are not. And that's the great difference. Uh, uh, let me let me be very uh, uh, orientally generous with you and 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 tell you, uh, after the fashion of the Arabs, that in the year 1998, when the state of Israel will celebrate its 50th anniversary, what would you say to the op sub, uh, to the proposition that the state of Israel declares in that year that? All Jews all over the world have 25, 30 years to make up their minds and make or not make Aliyah to Israel. And declare that after that, after these uh, 30 years, which will bring us uh, uh, almost to 2030, the doors will be closed up and only Jews in where they are persecuted for being Jews would be uh, permitted to enter, to come to Israel. Otherwise, the state of Israel would implement as any other Western secular democratic state laws of immigration that in which the state chooses its citizens and not vice versa. The situation today in Israel is that the citizen chooses the state. He makes the choice and not not the state. The, all, all the countries in the Western world, where we take, take the United States, for, for instance, you have to, to, to be in this state for at least seven years, and then you apply, and then they, they think it over, and then the state decides whether it wants you or not. That's not the case in, in, in the state of Israel. But you know and I know that even with this law of return, the, the uh, immigration to Israel from, from Jews in the diaspora are, is so meager, is, is, is so little, that I, I don't care. I mean, let there be a law of return. I, I just don't care about it. What I do care about is that the nature of that state, that the nature of this state after 40 years and the state which is continuously is being referred to as the only democracy in the Middle East, to which I agree it is the only democracy in the Middle East for Jews. It's not a democracy at all for non-Jewish citizens of that state, a state which for 21 years now have been controlling over 1.5 million people who have no rights at all cannot be called democratic. And this was not this was not what this whole Zionist adventure was all about. This was not what Herschel had in mind when he dreamt of that state one hundred years ago of Jewish solitude. What he had in mind was what and that what I 
also have in mind. That's where me and Herschel overlap, if, if you pardon the, the uh, again, my, my, my pompous uh, uh, attitude, is that in the state that Herschel wanted to establish, there was a big chance for a non-Jew to become a prime minister. Now, in, uh, in 1948, what Ben-Gurion did, and, and uh, I, 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 I admire, I, I admire Ben-Gurion, I think he was one of the greatest leaders of, of modern uh, Jewry uh, all over the world. But his mistake was, to my mind, I think his mistake was that he picked up the easiest alternative. He faced two, alternative, or two alternatives. One was Herzl's alternative, which, which said the state of the Jews, and the other one was a Jewish state, and Ben-Gurion just chose the, uh, the, the, the simplest, simplest so solution, and, and he picked up a Jewish state, and we are till this very day paying for, 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 this, for this mistake. So to what, what, I, what I said earlier about the state of Israel not being established yet, this goes for the law of return too, and I think that at the year 2030, when the state of Israel decides that the law of return is not anymore valid, then maybe it would, it will declare the establishment of the state of Israel. Now, to be afraid of minorities in the Middle East is, is almost an oriental disease. Uh, uh, no. Because minorities in the Middle East, and, and if you, if you uh, just uh, uh, view the history of just the last century in the Middle East, and how uh, especially Jewish movements have tried all over the years to reach out for minorities in the Middle East, and, and, and uh, just the recent example for this is, is Lebanon, how, how certain fractions inside what we both might agree to call as a Zionist movement inside the state of Israel, tried to reach out for the Maronites in Lebanon from uh, 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 just out of the notion that uh, the, the uh, minorities united in the Middle East are their only chance to survive. Now, I, I, I decline to, to just go, go ahead with, with this notion. I, I decline to accept it. And, and I think as, as long as the state of Israel goes on thinking and as long as American Jews like yourself go, goes on thinking that they would not trust any minority inside the state of Israel, that we're just, you know, we're going nowhere actually and, and uh, let there be a Jewish state and uh, it has in two-generation time to face two equally painful decisions. Uh, two-generation time, we're talking about uh, 2040 maybe. Uh, the, to my mind, the state of Israel at that time will have to face two equally painful decisions. One, to dismantle, quote, unquote, the Jewish state and declare the establishment of the state of its citizens, Israelis. One, or two, to declare a plain, straightforward apartheid. That's that's what what I think the the uh, two two alternatives facing the state was. Well, there, there's a third alternative, though. Uh, I was not, first of all, in speaking about minorities. Uh, 
I couldn't agree more that the old, the old smart alecky Ben Gurion idea that you can get around the Arab states mm -hmm. by making alliances mm -hmm. with all with all kinds of minorities, an idea which I agree was recent, most recently and disastrously expressed in Begin's alliance with the Jamiles. Um, I That is foolish. It is basically was an alibi for dealing with the question of peace mm -hmm. with Israel's neighbors. I agree with that. But I am not talking about Israel reaching, or anybody reaching out to minorities. I am talking about the enfranchisement of minorities. I am talking about sovereignty and about power and about empowerment and about states. And uh, there is a third. It is true that given if the occupation of the territories continues indefinitely uh, in 2030 or 40, depending on who, or 50, depending on who you believe, they will, the Israelis will, as you said, will have those two choices unless they had already chosen, unless they had already chosen to return those territories to, to an empowered form of Palestinian sovereignty which is a, an option that you didn't mention. Now, that, that also, that also is, 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 is a separatist option. Uh, that also is a separatist option. I mean, there is, as I said, this flip side to sovereignty, to, well, not just to sovereignty, to the modern ideal of the nation state, uh, to the modern ideal of the nation state, which was, which, and, and the idea being that every nation should, should have a state and that the state should approximate the boundaries of the nation. You know, it's what I call the theory of the perfect fit, basically, that every, that every nation should have a state that is approximately its size. And of course, one of the consequences of this in Europe, of this idea, of this romantic idea, was exactly the delegitimation of minorities, was exactly the delegitimation of minorities so that, so that members of one group living as a minority in, in, among members of another group came to feel that in some way their existence was illegitimate, that they should go live with their own. But they should go. Now, I do not believe that. But I, on the other hand, I, I, I do believe that, in, that one can live as a minority with dignity, provided that one lives in a genuine democracy. Provi so if you're saying that you would like Israel to be a genuine democracy, we agree. If you are saying that what stands in the way or what symbolizes the obstacles to the full democratization of Israel is the law of return, uh, then we disagree. I see no contradiction between maintaining the law of return and the full democratization of Israel for the following reasons. First, as you pointed out, the American Jews are not going to come. They're simply not going to come. What many Israelis do not understand is that Israel and the United States are in competition for the Jewish future. That Israel and the United that the United States was a revolution in Jewish history in the same sense that Israel was. That the United States and Israel are two 20th century Jewish experiments in getting away from the terms of the bargain in Europe. And that each of them, each of them represent a different way to get away from that. And so the idea that the United the United as we we're talking, the United States is 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 a, is a novum, is, is something new in Jewish history in that it is a diaspora that is not an exile. It is a diaspora that is not mm -hmm. an exile. Uh, and not just not experienced as an exile, but anyone who studies the history of this diaspora and who understands the principles upon which it's based will understand why this is a diaspora that is not an exile. So in that sense, I agree. The is, is, Arab Israelis need not fear that, 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 we're, all, we're, all, that we're all going to, 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 to Kennedy one evening. We're not. Um, for that reason, I think the law of return is not a threat. The other, you, you say, why can't the Israeli government declare that 
in 25 years, that Jews around the world have 25 years to decide. The reason is that we don't know that there will not be a Jewish community that will be threatened in 25 or 35 or 55 or 155 years. Uh, we simply don't know. And I guess what I'm getting back to is when I say that there is no, con that there need be no contradiction between the law of return and even of the spirit of the law of return and a genuine democracy in Israel in which is Arab Israelis live as a genuinely enfranchised minority in full possession of their cultural and political powers, in full possession of those powers, when I, the one fact that I guess I'm trying to impress upon you, and I won't repeat myself, is the f that for better or worse, the Arabs of Israel have got, have been, have been landed with the fact of Jewish pain. For better and worse, for better and worse, could, could that the historical experience, that they are living with people, they are living with people who have good reason not to trust certain political arrangements. This is not, you know, there are Jews, there are Zionists who are for the law of return for chauvinist, jingoist, racist reasons. It is and there's no question that the law of return represents a mentality which, it, which is a kind of permanent collective temptation for the Jews. As long as, the, as it is for any, as, as it was for any, as, as any nationalism a temptation. Mm. But as long as Jews live in this holy land, as long as Jews speak this Hebrew, as long as Jews continue to feel this way about certain places, they are in danger, that they are, they can be suckered by Jewish chauvinists and by Jewish fascists. It is a constant, it is a, it is a, it is a permanent danger to the Jewish people living in Israel. There's no question about that. There's no question about that. However, however, the fact that there are Jews and Zionists who would abuse and exploit the, 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 the adversity that the Jews experienced in the diaspora for their own, for their own very bad purposes, does not negate the fact that, for better or worse, the Arabs of Israel have got to understand that they are living with and will be living with people who will be permanently skeptical who will be permanently skeptical about the conditions for their own survival. Now, I understand, you know, I mean, I've been reading, in fact, lately, Palestinian writings about the Holocaust. And it is not difficult to understand the bitterness that, that an Arab-Israeli might feel. The, the Arab-Israeli did not ask for this particular problem. There's no question about that. But the fact remains, but the fact remains that you will not erase the collective memory of the Jewish people. And if the erasure of the collective memory of the Jewish people becomes a condition for a full democracy in Israel, if a condition for a full democracy in Israel, if you make it as a premise of a full democracy in the Israel that you're talking about, that Jews, that Jews eliminate from their heads this suspicion and this skepticism and these memories, then, then that is a council of despair. Because if that is the case, Shamir will win, because he knows how to play upon this very well. He knows how to play upon this very well. And there will be no full democracy in Israel. And the interesting problem for me, the interesting historical problem for me, is whether or not a democratic Jewish state is compatible with the collective memory of the Jewish people. That is really the challenge, the historical challenge for, for, for Jewish Israelis, for Jewish Israelis. But the fact that Arab Israelis have to understand the depth of that fact, and, and, and the fact, just the sheer facticity of that fact. Mm. That seems to me to be very important. As, as I'm running out of, of answers, and, and I think we are running out of time, it's, it's almost time. Yes. Yeah. 
Well, he hasn't run out of answers that fast. <laughs> <laughs> uh, just, just very briefly. I, I mean, I agree with some points that you raised, but I don't agree with with most <laughs> most of the points that that you raised. Uh, I, I think, I think, just to put it in in a very brief, very brief sentence, I think Israel is the main threat to the Jews. I think there is no place on earth today less safer for the Jews than the state of Israel, and I think that's because that's what the Jews, uh, uh, I mean, it's, it's, it's their own making, sort of the, their own making. That's what they chose to do in 48, and, and I mean, go ahead, make my day, and, and uh, uh, I, I, I don't, I mean, my, my disagreement with you is, is not that, that, that profound. What I, I just don't agree with with the the uh, uh, with with the with the uh, uh, saying that it is the problem of the minorities living in inside inside that that Jewish state and and that uh, to, to to your mind they have always to bear in mind that. Primeval, even a uh, 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 suspicion that lurks in the Jewish mind for 2,000 years now that who can bet his life to say that in the year 2030 there will be no, no danger to any Jew living anywhere in the world. And, and, but, you know, um, if we talk about 2030, I, I started this whole issue. I, I was the one who raised this 2030 thing. But, but just, you know, bear in mind that the life of the Jew living in 2030 is not more precious than the life of a Palestinian living in 1988. We have to cope with what we've got and, and not to, to, to say that uh, the, the, the precondition is that the, there will be no threat to any Jewish life in in 50 years from today, and and what what I care for is the threat to the lives who of the people who are living beside the Jews in in the state of Israel, and 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 I I, I just don't think that the state of Israel is under any threat from anywhere. In 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 that context, it is under a great threat as far as the. Jewish life is is concerned in inside that that state. I just to 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 uh, uh, to wrap up what what I was uh, what I meant to say. Uh, I this this is uh, going back to the uh, first section of of your question. Uh, when I talk about Israel, I under any no I mean I, I don't mean under any circumstances Israel of the present day. What what I mean when I talk about Israel is Israel of the green line. So this question of uh, minorities and, and majorities in, in this land west of the Jordan, for me it's irrelevant because uh, uh, the state of Israel I'm talking about is strictly the state of Israel inside the green line with 17% of Arabs living, living inside that state. So, so the, if, if, if you are if you feel threatened by this 17%, then uh, of course you'll be more threatened by when they increase and become 
20 or 25 or 30 percent, and I, I really don't don't think that uh, in ethics, if we, if we we are talking about 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 ethics, that the percentage of the number of people inside a given framework could change our attitude, our ethical attitude to democracy, for, for, for that matter. I think the, 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 even if there was one single Arab left inside the Green Line after 1948, the, the State of Israel could not have declared itself as a Jewish state. One single Arab changes the whole picture. Thank you, Anton. And Leanne, we, we can take few minutes for questions. There are microphones at either side of the room. If anyone has a question, would you please line up at the microphone? Yes. Um, Leila Sharif, uh, back to the issue of language. Um, Mr. Shamas, I was wondering um, how your knowledge of literary Arabic influences your writing in Hebrew. And this question is lobbed from the Arab side of the room, um, so raised in a household full of amateur Arab poets. I was just wondering. Well, I have a friend who's a spy in, in Cairo, who's an American, and he's he, he's, a he's a spy. Actually, his, his father is a spy, uh -huh. and he claims that um, that Cairo radio broadcasts to Israel in Hebrew. Um, have more beautiful Hebrew because there are all these Egyptians using Hebrew in an Arab way. This is my friend. I mean, he's a, he's an eccentric. But I always I never had a chance to ask this question if that's really true that an Arab using Hebrew, imposing Arab kinds of um, grammatical and syntactical forms mm -hmm. on Hebrew does interesting things to Hebrew that are not done in Israel. I thought there were no Arabs in this room. <laughs> well, some no of Jews. us heard about it, yes. Uh, they didn't the, check you know, our the, passports. The, uh, the, the, the mentioning this Hebrew of the, of the uh, uh, Kol Haram, they call Kol Haram Mikahir, which, which uh, this, this exactly what you're talking about, the Hebrew broadcast. I didn't even know if it was true, it was just my friend's uh, spy, sort of. Uh, I feel so gold with this, with 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 this analogy. Uh, uh, no, I didn't mean any. Didn't mean any no, offense. No, it's, it's okay. Uh, uh, just just to tell you an anecdote. After Six Day War, there was uh, 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 some some uh, 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 in Israel. They just recorded what was broadcast from, from this station that you're talking about in Hebrew, and they just make this, uh, uh, make this uh, disc, is that what you call it, disc, is it record, uh, uh, out of it, and it was the funniest thing that you could, could, could listen to in, in the early 70s. So, so I, I, I hope that my, my uh, uh, Hebrew is, is it, you know, in that analogy, is a little bit less funnier, funnier than, than the, the Hebrew of uh, Kol Haram Mikahil. Uh, I, am, I, 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 I think that I'm very familiar with, with what's going on today in the Arab world, in novels, literature, you know, what, what, what have you. And uh, I used to write poetry in the 70s, both in Arabic and Hebrew. 
and I, I published some some books of, of poems. So that's why I regard myself I bilingual actually. But when when I I quit writing writing poetry and I quit smoking too at, at that time, <laughs> and and I set out to to write this novel. So writing prose actually is is more. Uh, hard labor than than writing Hebrew, and that's when uh, than, than writing poetry, and that's when you just like in a word processor, you put you, the, the, your input is just this uh, uh, disk of a new program of 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 the Hebrew language, and and you forget all about any other influence. That I mean, you try to you try to evade these influences coming from another language, and and you know. Just go straight ahead with with deal with with what what you have on on the screen. Uh, that I I don't think I can trace any influences from say modern Arabic literature. But but of course the main influence the the the, the main book that I feel if if uh, if just uh, to use and and. Uh, 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 sort of uh, uh, simile out out of that book, which is uh, one thousand and and one night. Uh, th yeah. This is, I mean, this is my 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 greater influence, and and I feel like in the stories of Sinbad, like in the travels of Sinbad, um, there's, uh, in, in I think this fifth or sixth journey of his, he was uh, 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 passing, he, he was sailing. Uh, among these magnetic islands, and and these islands would just uh, 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 magnetize or pull out the nails out of his ship, and he would just wreck on on the shore. So that's where I feel most threatened in that region of 1001 Night, and and, and I try to to maneuver my way among these these islands uh, using perhaps a. a Plastic Hebrew boat. <laughs> um, yes, Mr. Shamus, I wanted to ask you: Do you really feel yourself separated in nationality from writers like Raja Shahade and Sahar Khalifa, the writers of the West Bank? Uh, in, 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 I mean, in a way, no. We, we are all Palestinians. We are both Arab Palestinians. We, we have the same. We share the same mother tongue. Uh, Raja Shahadi, by the way, doesn't write in Arabic at all. Right. He That's writes in English. So yes. why shouldn't I write in Hebrew? Uh, and but uh, uh, Sahar Khalifa, whom I respect very much, uh, if if you if you 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 mentioning the word nationality means what exactly? What, I, I don't think that what you mean by the word nationality overlaps with what I mean. Well, we you both spoke about the green line and saying your experience is solely within the green line, yes. and uh, is it not actually? I mean, do you feel it's a really a truly different Palestinian experience from the Palestinians who are on the West Bank? No, I, I think the, the the Palestinian experience is so pluralistic and so varied. So, sort of, uh, you have Palestinian experiences in the United States. Palestinians yes. were born in the United States, and they use English as their mother tongue. Uh, so, my experience as a Palestinian is just another facet of of that experience. But, but because we are living in such a very severe uh, uh, conflict and such a very torn 
reality. So that's why we tend to to uh, 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 grant these connotations to to our experiences in 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 the in this context that that you are talking about. That maybe Raja Shahadi and and Sahar Khalifa, these two writers that you mentioned. Uh, maybe, I'm, I'm not sure about this, uh, uh, relate to me as something, as some somebody who is trying to outlaw the Palestinian experience, something, uh, somebody who is trying uh, to, to moonshine, sort of illicitly uh, uh, practicing a Palestinian experience in, in, in a language which, which is for Sahar Khalifi and Raja Shahadi, of course, it is the languages of, uh, of these orders that are issued today by, by our defense ministers for demolishing houses in the, in, in, in the West Bank. So I am fully aware of, of this dichotomy between my notions of what my experience should be all about and my notions of what my language should be all about and the, the, the way Raja Shahadi and Sahar Khalifa relate to this, to this context, to this question that, that you raise. But to answer you, to you, your question, I feel close to, to Raja Shahadi. I don't feel close to Sahar Khalifa. Okay. Maybe you, you can understand what I'm talking yes, about. Yes, thank you. Okay, one final question. Yes, um, first of all, I, I must say that the um, exchange over the linguistic issue was most fascinating. And, uh, boring. and most fascinating, and, and I should thank Mr. Shamas for his uh, most brilliant uh, historical analysis of the e de-Easternization of the Hebrew language. However, the, the de-Easternization of the Hebrew language was no fluke. Uh, it lasted for some 2,000 years. And um, interestingly enough, uh, Herzl, though you spoke of him approvingly, I, I suppose it wouldn't even occur to him some 100 years ago that an Arab within the future Jewish state would write Hebrew for two reasons. First of all, Herzl never intended Hebrew to be the official language of the future Jewish state. He intended, presumably, German to be the language. And as for Herzl himself, he never intended himself to know Hebrew, and he accomplished that quite easily. Um, however, um, I, I, I'd like to, to uh, perhaps both of you to re-politicize the, the issue of re-Easternization of the Hebrew language. I mean, that battle was fought very briefly, the, the late 19th century, between two tendencies, the Jerusalem tendency and the Odessa tendency. Uh, by the way, no Oriental Jews were involved, as much as no Oriental Jews were involved in political Zionism. Um, uh, however, the Jerusalem tendency, led by Eliezer ben Yehuda, who is credited as the reviver of the Hebrew language, was heavily defeated by the Odessa tendency, and therefore the, 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 the battle, so heavily influenced by European Romanticism to introduce the Bible as the recipe for modern Hebrew ended up uh, with a total fiasco. It was the Talmud and the rabbinical literature which set the tone for the language. Now, the rabbinical literature was written and sought under two conditions. First of all, the lack of sovereignty, and later on, the lack of a Jewish territory. Now, uh, what, I simply, what I'm simply wondering, attributing no sinister uh, intentions to, to Mr. Shamas, uh, and, and the question is, is addressed to both of you, the, the idea of re-Easternization, is it not simply intended to deprive Zionism 
of absolutely the most effective tool it ever, de it ever developed. The first, I should add parenthetically, that the first battle fought and won by political Zionism was not a military battle. It was the so-called War of Languages in 1913 in which the Zionist, the embryonic Zionist movement in Palestine won the war against a Ju Jewish-German charity organization that sought to impose German as the language of teaching at the Technion, the, the technical college they established in Haifa. Now, that was definitely a Western language, which Hebrew evolved to be, led by Western, or for that matter, East European, but basically culturally Western people. Is, is that the idea, depriving Zionism of that tool and by that perhaps undermining the entire practice of, of Zionism? <laughs> Well, uh, <laughs> we should take this on the road. It's just a, uh, <laughs> um, well, I just, uh, I would say two quick points about that. First, uh, speaking as, you know, when you study, when you study Jewish history at the end of the 20th century, um, and you look back on re-Easternization and de-Easternization and all the various ideologies and all the various attempts that Jews made since the 18th century and even before to twist themselves out of shape and deform them and immolate themselves and immolate themselves and eliminate this and not. My own feeling is that that I guess in a way it's almost part. It's the cultural dimension of what I call my Zionism. I refuse to inherit all those all those Jewish ideological feuds. Uh, it seems to me that the problem facing the Jews right now culturally is not that Hebrew is an Eastern language or a Western language, but that most of the Jews do not know Hebrew. Uh, and that, and that there, is some, there is some sense in which that whole mentality of will we, be, will we speak Hebrew, will we be Canaanites, or will we be First Commonwealth, or Second Commonwealth, or Rabbinical Hebrew Jews, or will we, will we, will we admire the Jews in the Rhineland, and then what about the Jews? reject all these old feuds uh, and to, well, I, I'm not going to repeat myself. Uh, undermining Zionism and, and if, if, if I understand you correctly, uh, uh, making it sort of bereft of its most effective tool of self-fulfillment. Yes. Yes, I, I, I agree. I, mean, that's, I, I couldn't put it better my, 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 myself. Uh, but in not, that's not in the sense that, that uh, a Palestinian living in Jenin or Ramallah is trying to undermine what he thinks is Zionism and making it bereft of its most effective tool, fulfillment. Uh, the, I just repeat what I said before, that I think that Zionism fulfilled itself in 1948, and, and it's, for, for me, it's not existent anymore. I mean, it's, it's not necessary anymore for the state of Israel to maintain Zionism. I think, I think what, what uh, they, they maybe, no, I, I won't go into that. It's too, too, I, no, I, I, I won't say that here. Uh, what, you won't even say what it is. <laughs> <laughs> what I mean, I, I, 
To put it bluntly, I don't care about Zionism. But what I care about is the state of Israel. And if the objective of Zionism was establishing the state of Israel, then we both overlap. So, so we you know, just I don't have any contradictions with with Zionism. If if Hebrew was the most effective tool of self-fulfillment for Zionism, then I, I, I accept it as such. But I, I I don't accept just the term Zionism. I I I, I replace it with the term Israeli. So. The, so for me, I mean, there's no no problem uh, as long as we are we understand each other that I'm not relating to Hebrew the way uh, uh, Sahar Khalifi does or the way any uh, uh, West banker does. I, I just it's a totally different approach. Okay, we have another question over here. This question is also directed to Anton Shamas. Also. Uh, also, yes. I'm wondering whether uh, your claim that that Hebrew is not a Jewish language and the problem that many Jews have in accepting this claim may not parallel perhaps a difference that's between uh, Arabic-speaking Christians and Arabic-speaking Muslims. An Arabic-speaking Christian who feels that his language is his own might be uh, might surprise a, an Arabic-speaking Muslim or even a non-Arabic-speaking Muslim who, is, who studies Quran and Hadith and who, who feels the cultural weight, the, the weight of his heritage, and who would point to the Christian, to the Christian Arab or the Arabic-speaking Christian, and say, "You yourself pointed to the fact that your own linguistic world was very much formed by a work which merely came into the Arabic language a little more than a hundred years ago, and at that was an overt cultural borrowing." Isn't that the problem? Aren't you saying the same thing about Hebrew? that you might, I don't want to put these words into your mouth, but you might perhaps be saying about Arabic. And if you're not saying that, then why is it different for when it comes to Hebrew and the Jews than it is when it comes to Arabic and Islam? It, it, is, it is different but for the simple reason that uh, a Jew means uh, Jewish by religion, of course, and, and Jewish by national, if you like, affiliation. It's not the case when we are talking about Arabic-speaking Christians, if uh, that's the term that you use, which, which I oppose very strongly. There are no Arabic-speaking Christians, there are just Arabs who happen to speak, who happen to be other Christians or, 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 or Muslims. Now, I, I was raised in, in, in the, as I said, in Christian Christian house, and we talked Arabic there as uh, most naturally. I mean, it didn't occur to us that uh, it's a Muslim language. It's not. Arabic is not a Muslim language. Uh, and th that's exactly where I, I oppose what, 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 what Leon's was saying, that it is a Jewish language. But historically, if you go to other, par or if you go to other parts of the Muslim world where there are non-Arabs non living, and, and especially if you go into certain fundamentalist uh, enclaves of Islam, you will certainly find great opposition to what you've said. Ah, uh, right. That's their problem. Uh, that we, we, we really, no, we, I, mean, I mean, we are talking about a certain area in the Middle East and, and uh, where Muslims, Christians, and Jews live together. Now, Christians and Muslims are both Arabs. They, they relate to their language, I think, and they, they think that, that, it's a, a, that the language is, doesn't have that air of mystique about it. 
I mean, for, for the Muslims, of course, it is the language of the Quran and so on, but, but uh, maybe this, uh, I, I hate to use this word, it's Orientalist approach to Arabic, that it is a Muslim language. It's not. I mean, it's time for everybody to understand Arabic is not a Muslim language. Arabic is the language of the Arabs. Now, what it, it, this, this um, it coincides with, with, with my attitude toward Hebrew. I, I, I really don't think that Hebrew should be strictly a Jewish language. I'm just trying to normalize Hebrew and make it an Israeli language. So there, there might be Jews who speak English or Yiddish or whatever, what, what have you, and, and Jews, of course, who happen to speak, to speak uh, Hebrew. So, you know, I, I, I'm not sure to what extent we understand each other in, inside these terms of, of, of... I'm using too much these terms of reference. For, for, forget about it. But uh, I, I really don't accept your, 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 your standpoint that, that uh, uh, there's an equation here. There's, there's an analogy. I just don't think that that uh, being a Christian Arab who, happen, who who speaks Arabic equals what what you were you were referring to. It just for me it's 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 you know it's 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 my mother tongue. It's my mother tongue. It has nothing to do with Christianity or, or Islam. It's just the language of the Arabs. That's what it's called Arabic. Hebrew is the language of the Hebrews, not the language of the Jews. Jewish language is Yiddish. That's Yid, Yiddish. So, 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 so Hebrew is the language of, of the Hebrews. So, and nowadays it's the language of the Israelis. That, that's the, as, as simple as that. Question over here? Yes. I, I, I'm not convincing. I, I'm not. No, you're not. <laughs> okay. Question this, over here? This, this may be a very naive question, but um, it seems as though... Well, let me just ask it. If, if Hebrew were a Jewish language, could your book have been written? It seems as though your book defies such categorizations or rubrics in other ways as well. For example, is it autobiography or is it fiction? Um, to what extent is, are such transgressions intentional on your part? And, or to what extent are such rubrics irrelevant uh, you know we, we, are, we are talking about these things about two years after this this book was published in Hebrew and believe me uh, uh, some of the problems raised here just didn't occur to me as, 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 as problems uh, the, the only as, as I said before the only one of the reasons that I chose Hebrew was just I, I, I wanted to tell my story to a Hebrew audience that's all. I mean, uh, you know, when when you write something, you you don't you don't let all these notions breathe down your neck. You just write, and then you publish, and then comes these these questions, and and you have you have to answer and and try to find out what exactly did you think two years ago when you finished this book, which 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 is not true. It's uh, so it's, it's, it's not a defiance. I, I, I didn't try to defy anybody or any language or any notion of language. It just, I, I was trying to write a story. That's all. Yeah, well, thank you very much. Please join us for a reception immediately following. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.